Zach, how we doing? Hey, man, I'm doing fine. How are you? Uh, my soul is downcast, <laughs> to say the least. And I think I know why, but expound. Zach, I am the proud owner of an iPhone, okay. iPhone 10. Okay. I've had it since it came out, like over two years. I appreciate not getting green messages from you. Yeah. I mean, shout out team iPhone, but yeah. that's not the point, Zach. Okay. My phone just cracked. I, I know. And that is such a bummer. That is a bummer. And what's even more a bummer is how it happened. So, as you know, Zach and I have been reading. A lot. And I have discovered the cheat code of audiobooks. <laughs> yes, dude. He's literally just running through Harry Potter books yes. like it's nothing. You would think that I am a speed reader. <laughs> what now? You would think that I am a speed reader based on my Goodreads book <laughs> completion. Yeah, but you're not. I'm not. <laughs> you're a speed I, listener. I am an audiobook fanatic now. I'm fully convinced. Yeah. So we're not sponsored. Audible sponsors a lot of people. Audible, please sponsor us. That'd be cool. I'm paying for my subscription, and I would like to not. <laughs> but here, you're getting caught in the weeds. I am. Let's talk about your cracked so, phone. So while I'm taking a shower, okay. I like, I've really loved the Harry Potter series so far. I'm on book three, The Prisoner of Azkaban. It's great. No spoilers. Don't worry. But I was listening to Harry Potter on my like while I was showering. Right. I've and noticed your shower is getting longer and longer. <laughs> so Our water's getting colder and colder by the time yes. I get in. My apologies. It's okay. But while I was listening, like there have been a couple places I've tried to put my phone to listen well. Like I've balanced it on the door handle <laughs> one time. It's just, I just couldn't, it's hard to listen. Right. Because the shower water's loud. Yeah. So I came up with a perfect plan. So I thought. So you thought. So we have a shower curtain. Yep. Well, I tossed my towel over the shower curtain. And kind of like bunched like the it up. Shower rod. The, yeah, the shower yeah. rod. Good clarification. I bun I bunched it up so it was a little bit thicker, wider base. And then I, <laughs> I set my phone in the case on the towel up against the wall. If you have a normal sized shower rod, it's like an inch or two thick. Yeah, I mean we have that. I know. And so I that's why I beefed it up. I just don't know what you were thinking. And I think what happened is I forgot that my phone was up there. And I think I like touched my face with the towel. And to my dismay, I just heard a slap on the floor. And I, I didn't even, it did not even come up as a possibility that my phone was cracked. I just continued to listen as my phone was on the floor. (laughs) So Harry Potter kept playing. Harry Potter kept playing. And then I think that I turned the, I think I just turned the water off and was getting out of the shower and reached down and my phone's face down. And it's just, also waterproof. For right. Clarification right. My, and it fell outside the shower. Right. So it's not getting wet. My phone's waterproof. Yeah. So it really wasn't risky other than the fall. So the fall it happened and my phone is shattered. Right. And I go to Apple and they're like, yeah, $279 plus tax <laughs> to get a new screen, which really just grinds my gears. Really? Because I paid for Apple Care, but they were like, oh, actually, Apple Care can expire, which I knew this. But I thought I had it for two years. I only had it for one year. And they were telling me, oh, you could have renewed your Apple Care 60 days after it expired. Or you could have not put your phone on a shower rod. True. But just know, if I would have renewed Apple Care, it would have cost me $30 to get a new screen. Wow. So I was just really frustrated. Not with Alan, my employee that was working with <laughs> oh, me. Sweet Alan. He's well. He's he was actually not like sweet. He you wouldn't. He was just a bit. He's a big guy. Oh, not so sweet. Alan. He's a big guy. Probably a college athlete. Really? Yeah. Um, intimidating handshake. Don't worry, I didn't back down. <laughs> Good. But Proud of you. but I was just I was distraught to find that it's going to cost me two hundred seventy nine dollars. So I think I'm just going to wait 
for eight months until the new phone comes out and buy yeah. it. Cooper, I hate to say this, but I'm not sorry for you. I mean, I deserve it myself. Like, there's no one to blame <laughs> but me. I totally am willing to admit that. However, it's just frustrating. It is happened. frustrating. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to yeah. you, and I'm sorry it's $300 to <laughs> fix it. It's hundo. But for all of you listening out there, here's the lesson to take away. Listen to audiobooks during your shower. But do not put them on the shower rod. Yeah. I, uh, later, Zach came in and we explored some more creative places that are much safer. Yeah, so now there's a nice over. perch on the top of our shelf so that my phone will no longer be subject to the cracking. But it doesn't matter anyway. That won't happen again. Yeah. To be honest, Zach, I think the only good news that came of this is as I was at the Apple store, I was talking to Alan. And as he was saying goodbye to me, he's like, dude, I know this is just really unfortunate. But I do have some words of advice for you. And I was like, oh, I'd, I mean, I'd love to hear those. And he told me, welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. How are we, Coop? It's me, Crack Screen Coop. Well, I hope you're not listening to this podcast in the shower with it on top of a towel if on it top is, of the shower. If it is, pause now and move it. Take no it off. Whatever we say is not as important as at you making sure your phone costs. does not fall to the same fate that mine has. Ooh, at all costs, take it off. But Coop, as always, we have my favorite episode today. I I thought it might be. I it, thought you it, might say that. my favorite. I really think that this, every new episode is my favorite. I know it is. But this is Adam Tarno. Adam Adam works at Watermark Community Church where we both go. I really don't know what his specific title is. He's like director of some of the bigger teams. Yes. But he is also one of the Communication maybe? Yeah, some communication. Or creative design. That's it. He's in, okay. in charge of like the creative side of yes. everything. But, but he's, he's filled a lot of hats. He's been a part of the marriage team, the college team. Like he's he's been around. He's been around. Not me. You know what I mean? But he's also a co-host of Real Truth Real Quick and, and the Church Leader Podcast. Yes, and that, my friends, is some good content. That is good stuff. If you haven't started listening to Church Leader Podcasts and you are a minister in the church, you, anything, if you just want to be a member of the church, right. Church Leader Podcast. If you're a believer and follower of you. Jesus Christ, you should consider yourself as a pastor. It is for you. So yes. we sat down with Adam, and this is based off one of their podcasts called Leadership X Factor, and it's talking about first impressions, rapid judgments. Mm. It's like when you walk in a room, people look at you, and they judge you. Yes. They just do. That's how Specifically, it is. Specifically, I judge you, Zach. <laughs> I know you. I can see it in your eyes when I yeah. walk home from work. It's just judgment. Judgment. Instant judgment. Instant judgment. But these th it's the problem is our generation's like, no, take me as I am. Just right. I am who I am. Deal with it. Right. I don't want to wear a suit and tie. It's uncomfortable. Right. My hair, I don't like taking the time to make it nice. <laughs> right. But we the, have they, to. I've actually, those are direct quotes. <laughs> I know they are. <laughs> from, from millennials. <laughs> but the thing is, we have to take these seriously because they're real. And, and one of the points he makes in here... And this is so like such a fascinating topic that we got to talk about. He's like, yes, God, we, we use the verse that God does not judge by outward appearance, but he looks at the heart, but we aren't leading God. We're leading right. people. We're man, leading Cause man it's man looks at the outward appearance, right. but God looks at the heart. That's Ex the verse. Yeah, exactly. And so we have to, to know that and know that people make rapid judgments and your first impression makes a big deal on yeah. people. You can always remember someone's first impression that wasn't good and it's hard to recover from that. It is. And so that's what we talk about. It's This is a really practical, really applicable episode. Yeah, it was cool, too. I mean, he invited us into his home. He awesome. had coffee made for us when we got there. Good super, coffee. Yeah, really good coffee. And Zach's not a big coffee guy. I'm not. But super welcoming and inviting. We got to literally sit in his home and hear these tips from him. And they were super practical. I think 
you guys as listeners are really going to enjoy this episode because of the practical aspects that come from it. Right. That's a good one. It's a long one, but hang in there. Hang in there. Strap in. Move your phone yes. off the shower this curtain. It's a long shower. <laughs> anyway, here he is, Adam Tarna. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being yeah. on, being with us. We're excited to have you and listen to you, ask you some questions. Uh, I want to start by just letting you introduce yourself. Yeah, you well, my from? name's uh, Adam Tarno. Grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, Manassas, Virginia, Silver Spring, Maryland. That's kind of the area where I grew up. For some reason, when I went to college, I wanted to get away from, uh, from home, and I have no reason really why. I had a great relationship with right. my family and with my parents, but... I had my buddies and I in high school, we just kind of idolized the Southeast. We just thought, oh my gosh, that'd be so cool to right. go to the Southeast, to go to college. And so I applied to a bunch of schools in the Southeast and ended up going to the one that I thought was the best that I got into. Truth be told, I didn't get into all of them that I applied to. And so okay. I picked the best one that I got into. And so I went to uh, this school in South Carolina called Clemson University. Their football team has been it's doing It's not bad. Not it's bad. It's a good time to be a Clemson yeah. fan. Yeah. When I was there, it was a bad time <laughs> to be a Clemson fan. So all those bad years of uh, seven and five, eight and four seasons yeah, were- it's paying off now. We're getting rewarded. So anyway, I studied accounting at Clemson. I was- destined to be a third generation accountant. My grandfather was an accountant. My dad was an accountant. Uh, I was born on April 16th, the day after tax day. <laughs> tax so day. it was like, it was in the stars for me to be an accountant. So I studied accounting. I liked it. Uh, just the way my mind worked. It was simple math. It was right. a puzzle. Things were kind of logical. Uh, it looked like it was going to be a stable career. And so got a job in Atlanta right after college as an auditor, mm. moved to Atlanta and uh, was there for about five years auditing. I plugged into a great church in Atlanta, and that's where my heart really started to change towards ministry and decided to right around, it was probably like 2001, 2002, started to think, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna go pursue this ministry thing. I didn't become a Christian until I was in college. So at this point, I'd only been following Jesus about three or four years. Wow. And if I knew I wanted to go into ministry, I just thought I, I'm going to need to get some training right. in Bible and theology. I didn't know much. So uh, the guys at the church I were going to, they all went to a seminary here in Dallas. And I just said, I want to be like you when I grow up. So I'll go to that same seminary. Yeah. And so I moved here thinking I'd be here four years and leave. And it's been uh, it's been almost 18 years. Wow. And so I've been in Dallas here for a long time. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. So what are you doing here in Dallas? So uh, right now what I'm doing is I've on, been on staff the last 10 years at Watermark Community Church. I have had... I don't know, six different jobs uh, or something like that while I've been at Watermark, started on the marriage team, did a couple things in marriage ministry, did some stewardship ministry, like mm -hmm. some financial stewardship type stuff, personal financial stewardship, did led a ministry there for a couple years, did college ministry for a few years. And then the last couple of years, I've been working with our arts team, our creative arts yeah. team. So live production and worship and film and communication. Mm -hmm. So it's been That's a lot awesome. of fun. And so a part of your job is working with the Church Leadership Podcast, which yeah. is put out by Watermark, and it's where we get our, our content some from today. Yeah. Can I talk about how that started, where that came from, and what's the goal of y'all's podcast? Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Yeah. Uh, church Leadership Podcast has been great uh, and a lot of fun. So John McGee and I, my co-host on right. that with me, is uh, we did a church leaders conference five years ago almost, and it was a blast. We had church leaders from across the country come in. And we really just wanted a way to continue to communicate with them throughout the year. And so rather than just having one event where they 
we have opportunities to talk about different things we're learning as church leaders. We said, why don't we just put this in a podcast form, release it every couple of weeks. Right. And so I think we've been doing it about three or four years now and awesome. just put out episodes every other week. And it's been a lot of fun. Get different people from on staff yeah. to come and just talk about their different things that they do. And uh, and it's been uh, it's been great. That's so cool. And I, I would encourage our listeners to go check it out. It's, it's impressive. It's so good. And it's just quick, raw and real. And just yeah. you get so much wisdom out of it every couple of weeks. And so I love it. Well, thanks. But we get our, our content from it. It's one of your episodes called The Leadership X Factor. Yeah. It's kind of like everybody knows what it takes to be a leader. But in the world we live in today, there's these rapid judgments. There's these first impressions that you make. And there's a way to go about them that sets you apart as a leader and it makes yeah. you memorable. So kind of talk about that, that rapid judgments are real. How do we navigate those? Yeah. And it really, this idea came from uh, what we see where uh, in, in scripture, when uh, Saul, King Saul was right. being, uh, God was kind of appointing him. And just that verse out of Samuel that talked about how the Lord judges the heart, but people judge the outward appearance. I'm kind of paraphrasing it there. Right. And so that was, uh, and so John McGee, the co-host t- told the story about in seminary when he heard a chapel message preached on that by a guy named Chuck Swindoll, who basically just said, Hey, uh, we all know that the Lord looks at the heart and we do a lot of character building, but let's not forget we're not leading the Lord right. when we lead our churches. We're leading people and people judge based on outward appearance. Yeah. And so we cannot forget that. So, uh, and so it just led to a great conversation to go, what are some of those stylistic things, which is just the outside of you? You've got your substance and your style. Your substance is your character, your heart, mm-hmm. and uh, seminaries and churches. And uh, we, we do a great job of building up character in people and trying to encourage the building up of character. But sometimes you got to think about the style a little right. bit, too, of just how are you being perceived by the outside world? And so so it just led to a fun conversation for John and I as we were just going, all right, what are these different stylistic things mm-hmm. that uh, that impact people? Because rapid judgments happen. I mean, right. people, those first impressions are a big deal. And uh, so it was a fun conversation. Yeah, they're real. And I think a lot of my generation kind of runs from it. I, I kind of grew up in the generation. We grew up in the generation of, I don't care what people think. I don't care what I wear. I don't care um, yeah. because I'm going to be me. I'm going to do me. And if you don't like it, I'm going to move on and, and move to the next. Someone else will hire me for who I am. Yes. But we can't just avoid the fact that these rapid judgments are real. So how do we balance that? The, I don't want to put on a fake face, but I also need to realize that my first impression with someone matters. How, what's the balance? Yeah, well, it starts with recognizing that it does have some validity to it. Right. And so it does. I mean, it, it's good just to bring this out here early in this episode. It feels icky to talk about, right. and especially in a church context or if you're a follower of Jesus, because the heart does matter. It really does. And in no way, even as you and I continue to talk about this, in no way are we discounting the heart. If you can only work on one thing, which is your substance or your style, work on your substance, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you are all style with no substance, then that will be found out quickly and it will not go well yeah. uh, for you. We could probably think of some television characters yeah. that were all style and no substance. I think of uh, Don Draper mm-hmm. with Mad Men, right? Like yeah. that was a guy who had all the charisma and style when he walked into a room on that television show, he commanded respect. But as the TV, the, the show was really about how he had no substance. Right. He was not a man of character. And that's who we can become if we neglect the substance. So you've got to uh, recognize that it's there, not idolize it, 
Um, and just, I, I think for me, the way that I think about it is I'm just trying to, to make sure that I don't distract mm. from, from the substance. Yeah. And so is there anything I'm doing in my style? And when I say style, I'm not just talking about clothing. I'm talking right. about the way I handle my emotions, the way I communicate, the way I physically present myself when I walk into a room or when right. I'm in a meeting with people, the way I greet people, the way I look people in the eyes, the way I mm. smile, uh, the way I talk, all that stuff. And yeah, your clothes might be a part of that. Your haircut might be a part of that. Your facial hair might be a part of that, right. but it's, uh, it's all of that stuff. How am I presenting myself to others? Because, uh, they're, that's what they're seeing yeah. first before they have an opportunity to see, uh, to see my substance with all of that. So yeah, yeah, just trying to th- just trying to make sure that it's there and you recognize that it's right. There. We have to recognize it. And before we jump into like the three characteristics we want to look at, I want to ask like, how do you balance taking people's judgments and um, first impressions seriously, but not idolizing? Yeah, them? because I think a lot of people idolize the way people think of them, but then there's the other extreme of I don't care. Yeah. So where's the balance? There? Yeah. So well, I think it's uh, you're using the right word. It's a balance. So this is one of those those situations in life where I think it's a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. Mm. So you are going to have times in your life where you're going to maybe focus a little bit more on the style, maybe more than the substance, or or you're going to think about it more, not necessarily focus on it more. But it's constantly a tension that you're going to have to manage. This is one of those things in life that you can't just solve the problem. Right. So you're, it's, you're not going to solve this in a quiet time or in listening to a podcast episode or reading a book or having a good session with a good cup of coffee and a journal. Right. This is going to be a lifelong tension that you're going to have to manage. Here's one thing, though, that I... I have found is really helpful for me is I pick, I have two groups of people in my life right now that I say, I really care mostly about what this group says about me. And that is my immediate family. So that's my wife and my my two sons. And that is the immediate team that I am responsible for leading on staff at Watermark. And so what that means for me is this, is that uh, I might hear feedback, positive or negative about me and who I am as a leader. And let's just go, it's positive. If it's all positive, but yet my family or my team that I'm immediately responsible for serving and leading, if their feedback of me does not line up with the quote public's feedback of me, then I really don't care yeah. that much. You know, it's like I, the people who are closest to me are the ones who I care the most about what their opinions are. So I want to hear what other people have to say. Encouragement's always great. Feedback that if it's critical, it always stings a little bit. But what I really care the most about are those two groups of people right? uh, because they're the ones who see the real me. So if I can get all kinds of followers on social media or people that are telling me at a boy on certain things, but yet my, my sons despise me and my wife doesn't respect me, I'm not winning. Yeah. Right. And so I want to make sure that these, these groups of people, if, if a bunch of people tell me I'm a great leader, but the team I'm responsible for leading doesn't tell me that their life is better because I, I serve and lead them, then it doesn't, then I'm not a great leader, yeah. right? It matters those who are closest to me. So that is one way I, I have found to help manage that tension is just picking a really small group of people to go, these are the opinions that I'm going to listen to the most. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who I want to impress yeah. the most are these ones who are closest to me. That's so good. I love that. And I want to hit on a piece before we jump in is on feedback. Yeah. How do you foster good feedback? How do you receive it? Because I feel like a lot of times I don't like criticism. Uh, our generation is like so criticism. strange. I know. Why do you not I'm like different. it? <laughs> I know. I'm working on it. I'm yeah. looking into counseling. I don't like feedback. Yeah. So how do you receive it well? Man, it took it. Oh gosh. It takes a long time. Um, here was one metaphor that was really helpful for me is 
what I used to do, and especially like in an employer-employee situation, I mean, I believe what, what Peter says about submitting to authority. I believe what Paul says in Romans 13 about authority, that that is God, like God has ordained authority over me. So when you are working and you have a boss, that's an authority over you. God is going to speak through that boss and, and use that boss to mold and shape your character. Well, every bit of feedback that I would get from my boss, I would elevate it on a level and going, this is, this is like scripture 2.0, right? You know, like this is, this is coming from a boss. This is as if it's coming from the Lord. And I, I think my heart was right in that, that I wanted to be respectful and submissive to my authorities, but I think my, my application of it probably wasn't a hundred percent accurate. And so a better way to think about feedback for me, a metaphor for me is it is a, um, Zach, if I bought you a gift and like I bought you a shirt, mm. uh, I gave you that gift and it comes with a return receipt. So what you get to do with that gift is you get to go home, you get to try it on, you can talk to others closest to you and go, how does this shirt look? Does it, is this me? Is this my color? Does this look okay? And if you don't like the way it looks in the mirror and those around you don't like the way it looks, well, you get to return it. Right. You know, all I did was give you a gift, which was my opinion of something you did. You know, maybe I listened to a podcast episode and I didn't like it or yeah. something like that. That's just my opinion of it. And so I think the process of of handling that criticism is you accept it. You say, thank you, just like you always would with a gift, right. say, thank you. And try it on. You don't have to absorb and metabolize every single bit of feedback you get because yeah. everybody's got opinions. Everybody's got things that they wish you would do differently. And you just got to learn how to filter through it. And so usually with, with a lot of feedback, I'm listening for patterns of the same people telling me the same thing or, yeah. or excuse me, different people telling me the same thing. There may be something to that. So I'm looking for patterns. Uh, and then I'm, I'm helping, I'm processing it with other people. Mm, that's good. Okay. I want to jump into the three characteristics of self-evaluation, self-reflection that we're going to look at for, yep. for our outward appearance of what people think of us walking into a room. And we've kind of broken it down into demeanor, emotional intelligence, and charisma or energy. Yeah. So we're going to start with demeanor, uh, how someone carries themselves. It, it kind of includes both appearance and the way you communicate with people yeah. um, outwardly, the way people perceive you. So where does this stand uh, with you? How do you evaluate the demeanor of someone? I'm really just looking for uh, how can I eliminate distractions? Hmm. And, and I think for both of those, it's what is the least amount of distraction? How can I put uh, the fewest number of, of obstacles between me and the person that I'm trying to connect with? Right. So if we just think about distractions for a moment with our physical appearance, I, I don't know what the right style is. I mean, for crying out loud, number one, I'm in my 40s. Okay. Yeah. And number two, I was an accounting major. Yeah. And number three, now I'm on staff at a church. Like, don't come to me for style advice. I'm right. probably not the guy. So I don't necessarily know what's in style or what's out of style. But here's what it, my, like, just with, and this is such a, the shallow end, but I, right. nobody talked to me about this when I, when I was in my 20s. And these are the things I wish yeah. people would have told me when I was in my 20s, which is um, just dress in a way that doesn't distract people. Okay. And it, you may be sitting there going, okay, so does that mean like I don't wear Hawaiian shirts and don't wear flip flops? Like whatever, what, what is it? And it's like, no, it's like simple little things like, do your clothes fit? Yeah. Right. Like I wish somebody would have told me, hey, Adam, when you wear a tie, uh, when people can see your undershirt, right. when you're wearing a tie, that means your shirt doesn't fit because yeah. the neck is too big. There's a number on there and that's right. supposed to do that. I remember when I was in college, I took a, a semester off and I went down and I worked at Walt Disney World and did their college program down there. And I had to wear a tie every day. 
Zach, and I remember I went to the store and I bought all the shirts, all the ties, all the pants. And I was like, I have nailed it, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to look so good. And I just picked colors that right. I liked. And it was like, at that time, everything was still, it was still cool in the 90s to wear extra large everything, right? Mm -hmm. Everything to be baggy mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. So I'm showing up and I'm like... I feel like probably Don Draper did when I walked in that right. first day. I'm like, I look amazing. And at the, I remember at the end of that internship, did my annual review with my boss, and there was a physical appearance uh, attribute on yeah. there that he was rating me on. And I was like, oh, I'm totally nailing this one. And he, I did not nail it. Like he was like, uh, yeah, you were, you were okay. Yeah. And I was like, record scratch. Like, what do you mean? And he gave me some feedback, and I was like. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That was really helpful. That would have been helpful to know the day before the internship started, right. <laughs> not right. when the internship was ending. And it was all bit, you know, my, my shirts were all too big and uh, little things like that. And so uh, it's just, it's just not distracting. Yeah. That, that's what I'm trying to do is not distract. And so you're, you're just trying to figure out, uh, is this going to get in the way? Is somebody going to be looking more at my clothes than talking to me? Are they going to yeah. be looking more at my uh, at my hair and talking to me or more at my jewelry than talking to me and hearing what I have to say, if it's going to be distracting, then we probably want to try, uh, to eliminate that. Yeah. And talk about a place of excellence. Disney world yeah. is where like you do everything excellently. Like it is perfect spick and span, but I think it's just the little things of yeah. like, you can see your undershirt uh, when you're wearing a tie. Like that's just, that's just not presentable yeah. if you will. But. I mean, and I've got like, so this is, this is so shallow. Okay. Yeah. And so, but like the little pet peeves just for guys. Okay. That, uh, a collar stay, you know, so if you're wearing a collar, a collared shirt that, that doesn't have buttons on it, yeah. just put a collar stay in there. That's right. what they're called. They're called collar stays because they help your collar not curl up right. at, the, at the bottom. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been around young leaders that are dressed nice, but their collars are curled up. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh, you need somebody to tell you that, but I don't have the boldness to tell you that, yeah. you know? And so I'll just, I'll tell you here on a podcast, Yeah, <laughs> the little things like that if, in and it's just uh, it's just those little things that aren't distracting. I, there was that Super Bowl commercial, and if you're on YouTube, just go to YouTube and type in uh, like Tide Super Bowl commercial. And I think it, that's the best picture I've seen. Is there's a guy sitting in a job interview, and he's got a stain on his shirt, right? And the stain is talking. <laughs> and so what he's saying as he's answering questions are muted out. You can't hear it because the stain is talking. Right. And the guy listening to the interview is only looking at the stain, <laughs> right? And I'm like, that's it. That That's yeah. distracting. And so anything that would cause huh. that thing to be louder than what you're saying, right. try to eliminate that. That is such a good representation of that. I didn't see that commercial, but I'm going to go find it because yeah. that stain is talking instead of them hearing what he's what saying. What you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's huge in an interview or in first impression of someone. If I'm meeting someone that could be my potential employer, if what I'm wearing is speaking more than what they're they're listening to me coming out of my mouth, I, it's distracting. It's and distracting. You're probably not going to get the job. And yeah. even it's like we were talking about it yesterday, like the value of just a good haircut. Yes. You know, it just makes a huge difference. It really does. Yeah. And it may not be your style, but it makes a big difference. It really does. Haircut. Yeah. And, and and I would imagine that the age of the of your audience right now, uh, you're, you're starting. You have to start thinking about this stuff. Right. And so again, it's not go. You don't have to go hire a personal stylist. Just yeah. ask your friends. Like. If you're going to a job interview or even just going to work, just go put something on and just go, is anything distracting right now? Is yeah. anything talking louder than me? Right. And if something's talking louder than me, 
then let's try to see if we can remedy that. And I think things would go a long way if you did that. That's such a good way of putting it. But even talking about communication, it comes down to appearance, but also the way that you communicate with people. Yeah. And this breaks down into verbal communication and nonverbal communication. So what are you looking for in that when you're looking to hire someone or just meet someone at church? Verbal and nonverbal, what are things that set people apart? Yeah. And it it almost seems, again, so shallow to say, but it's so helpful is smiling, Mm -hmm. right? And so look somebody in the eyes, smile. Uh, little social cues uh, as they are talking, that you're nodding your head, you're saying right. yes, you're asking follow-up questions is is such a great way to engage in a conversation with yeah. people. I think when it comes to, especially here's what I'd say, the younger you are and you're communicating with older people, it is generally going to go well the more curious you can be mm-hmm. about that older person. And that is just you're asking them questions to get to know them. That's a sign of respect. And it usually can garner some favor in that of just going, hey, I like being around Zach. He's he's asking me questions. You know, he seems to be curious right yeah. now. And little things like that. I, I think the younger we are, uh, candidly, especially if you're in like a team meeting or a group meeting around people that are older than you, it is going to go well with you to say less. Right. Right. And uh, I think there's one area of communication that, especially if you're hanging around with some older folks or uh, when you're in your late teens, early twenties, just be careful with your opinions Mm -hmm. and how strongly you state them. Because uh, if you're around somebody who's 28 and you're 22 and you come out with some strong opinion about, uh, I don't know, maybe the way the organization is running or what your church is doing, uh, the 28 year old is going to go, yeah, I thought that too when I was 22. Right. You know, and, and what the 28 year old knows is, uh, 22 is still really, really young and you're going to change a lot of opinions, you know, and you're going to have a lot of things that are going to change. So just being gentle with your opinions sometimes and just going in one little phrase can soften some of that. Just going from my limited perspective, here's what I think about that. Uh, Or I reserve the right to change my mind when I'm in my thirties, but right now here's what I think. (laughs) It's just little things like that are just going to garner some respect and just go, all right, he he knows he's young. I, I want to hear what he has to say, um, or she knows she's young, and I want to hear what she has to say. But if a young person comes out with just just blazing opinions right away, right. that they're just certain that this is the way the world works, I, usually that doesn't go well. That's a stylistic thing. That's something right. that could become louder. Yeah, and that's even really like a coachability say. thing. Yeah, is like if I'm saying I reserve the right to change my opinion because I know I'm young. That means I'm coachable. Like, I'm going to give you my opinion, but tell me if I'm wrong because I very well could be. Yes. And I think that's huge. A lot of kids and a lot of young people aren't coachable. Right. How do you be coachable? How do we present ourselves as a way? Hey, I'm, I'm clay mold me into a leader, mold me into someone who's going to help this organization not be in hindrance because of my own opinion. Yep. Yeah. What does that look like for you? What's so strange, and when I was in my 20s, I watched guys in their 40s and 50s deal with this. It, it like, let's just talk about it from a spiritual perspective here. The, the guys who have been walking with Jesus the longest seem to talk about their sin more, mm-hmm. which to me, when I was a brand new Christian, I was like, no, 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 I'm not getting sin out of my life. Like, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm cleaning up. Right. What do you mean you've been walking with Jesus 25 years and you feel like you're dirtier, so to speak, you know? And, uh, and then as I have been walking with Jesus now for over 20 years, I start to realize, oh, okay, that's part of maturity. You Mm -hmm. become more and more humble. You realize, you realize just how tricky your emotions really are. You realize your motivations are not always pure. And so what happens is your, your opinions, 
you, you just start to change them a little bit and you start to hold a little bit more loosely to those. So I think for me, as I've to try to be coachable with some of that stuff, and I don't always do this well, is is uh, just understanding that my perspective is just that. It's my perspective. It's limited. And so we, this can even go back a little bit to criticism. If I'm going to understand that what people are saying to me as far as feedback, if I'm going to treat it like a gift with a return receipt, uh, then what that means is this. That means that uh, my opinions of others don't matter as much as I think they do. Right. Right. So, uh, and they're just that their opinions that I typically, I don't have all the facts. And, uh, and so it's just trying to have some humility and just hold a little bit loosely to some of that stuff. So those like, Hey, I may not be right. My friend, John McGee, one of the, the co-hosts on the, the uh, church leadership podcast, he, I just think he's the master at this. If he's listening to me talk about something, and a problem I'm trying to solve, he'll always say something like, yeah, that may be the right thing to do. That's a, those are really thoughtful answers. Um, here's another thing to possibly think about, mm -hmm. you know, and I, that just something in that of acknowledging, yeah, that might be the right thing. Um, but here's some other things to think about. Yeah. It makes me want to listen to him more because he's not trying to sell me on yeah. anything that helps, that helps with the coaching. That's good. And I think it also, it comes down to the way you present your opinion or the you way go. you present feedback and it all goes back to tone. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of times our generation misses this cause they'll come off so strong and their tone is so strong, but that's not necessarily their heart. That's not what they meant to come across as, but the way they said, so it's not always about what you say. It's about how you say it. Yes. You know, oh, absolutely. that's huge. Yeah. If you, again, go to Google and type in this thing called the Moravian theory or the Moravian concept, I was actually putting together, um, some thoughts for another presentation that I was just looking at this this morning. He's a researcher out of UCLA and he just studies interpersonal communication. And he would just say that 7% of what you say is the literal words. Mm -hmm. Like, so 7% of communication is the words you choose to use. Uh, the other 93% is tone and body language. It's unreal. Which is, so think about what the implications of that are in today's digital age on how often we're communicating digitally between text messages and uh, emails and things like that. It's, it's only words. I mean, emojis help a little bit, yeah. you know, with some tone <laughs> and body language. If you, if you put the smiley face emoji or the tears laughing, you know, I can kind of go, okay, he's, he's kidding right there. He really doesn't think I'm fat and ugly. Right. It was just a joke on text message or whatever, but, um, <clears throat> you know, so it's just, it's really, really tricky. And that uh -huh. tone does say, and I learned this from Todd Wagner, the senior pastor at Watermark, cause he'll, if somebody challenges him and as I'm sure you can imagine, he gets challenged a lot, just oh, yeah. the big church and, uh, and a guy that, uh, that talks and he gets a lot of people that will disagree with him. And he always asks one question. It's always, are you uh, frustrated by what I said or how I said it? Because hmm. if it's how I said it, I want to own that. Right. But if it's what I said, well, especially if it's coming from God's word, I'm going to stand by that, you know? And I just think that's a really, really great yeah. thing to ask. Cause a lot of times, yeah, if you're in conflict with somebody and it's something you said, it's just like, uh, is it what I said or is it how I said it? Sometimes it's both, but you're really just trying to bifurcate those and go, okay, I can always own, because how you said it truly is that style thing. Right. It's like, okay, I need to learn how to get better at softening that or giving that feedback better uh, in a way that's more palatable. And so, yeah, those are all great things to think about. Yeah. And it's understanding that your opinion isn't the only opinion. Amen. Because if my opinion was the only opinion, you have the authority to say it in a way that makes people believe that. Yeah. But when you realize, hey, this is just my opinion, you are subject to your own but I'm going to throw it out there. Like John said earlier, it's like, that might be the right way to do it. Yes. That might be the right place to go. Yeah. But here's another option. Yes. And I'm going to present that to you. Now. Yeah. That's yeah. good. I'm going to go back real fast yeah. to something you'd mentioned earlier was curiosity. Yes. And I think 
for our generation, part of this podcast is rekindling the the discipline of listening mm. and genuinely listening. How do we make someone know we're listening to them? If I'm talking to you, I just met you at church and and I want to ask you questions, but I'm also also kind of like looking over your shoulder. Who's the next person I can talk to? Yeah. How do you know that I'm genuinely listening to what you're saying? Yeah, I think eye contact and uh, if you if you nod at the right points and you laugh at the right points, right. then that's that's genuine uh, for me. That's generally when I know somebody's tracking with me, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, if I'll get some opportunities to do some public teaching and that whenever I'm speaking in public, if they nod at the right points and laugh at the right points, that's when I know they're, they're listening. And so I think that can even happen in the one-to-one or one-to-few type settings as well, uh, are some great ways to do that. Repeating back things that you really liked that somebody said, those are great, great ways to let people know that you're listening to, I think in a professional environment. So people that are maybe going to be taking internships this summer, going into an office environment or going on staff at a church or something like that. I think pen and paper is, it's just, it's a secret weapon or, or just your phone or something like that. Just, just to let somebody know I'm listening to you and I'm taking notes Mm. like just that is really helpful. So even though the eyes may not be looking at you, if you can tell they're writing something down, that's a great indication that, right. okay, they're, they're listening right now. So I think a couple of those things would be would be really helpful to do that. Yeah, that's good. And if you want to grow, you got to be curious yep. and you got to listen and, and you got to listen to the successes and mistakes of those who go before you and those who have experienced where you want to go. And it ties into emotional intelligence. How do you respond to situations? <laughs> uh, how do you respond to things that happen to you in the organization? How do you regulate both positive and negative emotions. How do great leaders do this? Man, I I like what David Brooks says about character in this. This is the great drama in our life Mm. is learning how to, uh, how to build character and regulate and go to battle against our weaknesses. Mm. That, that is, uh, that is our great drama in our life is learning how to do that. Um, most guys in their thirties and forties will tell you they did not do it well in their twenties. Uh, and I'm one of those guys. Yeah. And uh, so if there's things that I wish I would have done better, and I take that, you know, it wasn't like I swung and missed every single trial, right. but um, here, here's what I wish. I wish I could be more like my 11-year-old son right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my 11-year-old son, I don't know where this came from, but he is in a season right now where he is handling feedback in an amazing way where he listens and then he just says this, this, the same thing every time he's done. Now he could be totally playing me. He could be doing a podcast with his little, you know, uh, fifth grade buddies right yeah. now going, here's how to trick your dad. <laughs> but here's what he says. Every time I give him some feedback, he just goes, that's really good, dad. Thanks. Yeah. And he just says, thank you at the end of that. And it's just, he's not getting frustrated. He's not wallowing in shame. Right. He's just going, that's good. Thanks. And then he just goes on about his day. And mm. I'm like, man, Lord, make me more like him. That's such a great way yeah. to handle it is not wallowing in shame with, uh, with all that. Some things that I think are helpful is knowing, I, and this, if I could just talk specifically to men, uh, understanding how to discern when you're feeling ashamed. I think is a massive step in maturity. Uh, that is the number one negative emotion that most men feel right. is shame for all the great ways that the Lord made men. And then when we feel like we're falling short, predominantly you just feel this urge to go hide, mm-hmm. to blame, to um, want to just run away from people. And that's shame. Yeah. And uh, and so there's a discipline in when you're feeling shame. That's a great time to have Psalm 103 memorized. That's a great time to have Colossians 1 
um, like 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 in that area yeah. memorized. Uh, that's a great time to remind yourself that your identity is rooted in who you are in Jesus. Mm. You may be getting negative feedback from a person right now, but this is not a declaration of who you are. Who you are is who Christ says you are. And, uh, and that's a way to help that self-talk to help regulate some of those emotions. Right. Now I can, I can't even imagine even trying to comprehend good emotional intelligence without a relationship with Jesus. Yes. It'd be really, it'd be really hard. It's like, I can't even, I can't even think of that because shame is inevitable. Yep. Believers experience shame, non-believers experience shame. How do you take shame and what do you do with it when you have it inside? Cause as a man, I want to be successful. I want to yeah. be known as successful. I want to go get it. And whenever I feel shame, you kind of like, I, I tend to bottle it up. So yeah. like, what do you do with it once it gets in? There? Well, I think, I think what, uh, you know, John chapter three tells us what to do. That stuff needs to get out in the light. Yeah. And, uh, I think Brene Brown's work on vulnerability has been such a gift to, uh, to the church, to those in the church and out of the church. I don't know where her faith background is, but, but man, truth is truth. Right. And her work on vulnerability and just going, we got to quit trying to armor up and pretend like we've got to be the, somebody that we're not. And I am amazed that when I'm feeling shame, when I can just go, hey, guys, I just want to let you know that whole energy. I'm really embarrassed right now. Mm -hmm. And how endearing that is to people, how people are leaning in and they're not running away in those. And so um, so I've got to recognize it. And then I just try to say it out loud and get it out there as soon as I possibly can. Yeah. And those are some ways that have been helpful And that. It, it's always going to feel like a car. Go, driving 100 miles an hour and pulling on the emergency brake. Right. It's its never going to feel like something you want to do, but that stuff's got to get out. And mm -hmm. so I think the vulnerability is a great way to to handle that, to let people know what you're feeling. And maybe maybe you're in a team meeting and the boss uh, snips at you and, you know, snaps your head off for a second. Yeah. And, you know, it was a moment of indiscretion for them. And, and there's 15 people around. That may not be the time to go raise your hand and go, can I just let you guys know I'm really embarrassed right now? You know, I think it maybe is not the time, but, uh, but telling somebody after that and then figuring out how you can go and talk to the boss, yeah. you know, let somebody help you navigate those. But if you're with friends or a smaller group, I think it's a great way to yeah. just, just get it out there and let people know. And that's important for guys in our generation to know, because to me, I'm a, I'm a believer, so I'm, I've moved past this, but that feels like weakness. You know, right. it's like, I know where my identity is found, but if I'm going to put my shame, that hurt me. My feelings are hurt. That's weakness. And I cannot display weakness. So what is the balance of that too? Of Hey, it's okay to be weak. Yeah. We want to lead from our weakness. How do we lead from our weakness? I, well? I think the goal is, is better. The better goal is not to be perceived as strong, but to be perceived as authentic, mm. to be real. Yeah. And, and we all know that everybody has weakness. I mean, if you think you don't have weakness, you are the only person in your life who thinks that. Yeah. Everybody else knows it. Yeah. So you, you uh, garner no favor from anyone if you don't let people know, hey, I know I've got blind spots or, um, or I know I've got weaknesses. I need you to help me see my blind spots, right. you know? Um, and so... I, I just think there is a, uh, yeah, you've got to be able to get it out there and, and just let people know that, Hey, I'm real yeah. in this. And, and there's a difference between all, even, you know, we can, we can talk since we've been trying to bring in scriptural principles with all of this too, uh, repentance and sanctification are also on there. And so it's one thing to just go, eh, that's me. I get mad and drop F-bombs when I get angry. Right. You know, that's just me, uh, yeah. but Jesus loves me anyway. 
that's not okay. I mean, yes, that's real and authentic, right. but you want to be able to demonstrate, and I'm praying that the Lord will help uh, help me with this, you know, and I want to see some growth in this. And so God's okay with where I am, but he doesn't want me to stay where I am kind of language. And um, and so it's not just be real and, hey, I'm just I'm just being me. It's, it's uh, I'm here, I know this is my weakness, and I'm praying that the Lord will rid this from right. me. And I think you know you're in an unhealthy spot as a leader when the people you're leading think that you're perfect or everything's fine. Yes. And I think it's Craig Rochelle that says people would rather follow a leader that is real rather than one that's always right. There you go. And I think that is huge because a lot of leaders think that I have to have all the answers, I have to have everything figured out, or at least you need to think that I have it all figured out. Because if I leave from weakness, it's over. Yep. But that is the complete upside down and opposite of what leadership is. Exactly. So the last characteristic, charisma, energy. When you walk into a room, everyone knows that Bob Goff type leader. When they walk into a room, everyone it's like they have a presence about yeah. themselves. What is the presence you want to be known for? And what's the balance of, hey, I'm always on the high, but I'm also can be very real and have a real conversation yeah. with you? I, again, I'll, I'll quote Todd Wagner here. One of the things that we say over at Watermark all the time is be a, hey, there you are person, mm-hmm. not a, hey, here I am person. That's good. So uh, I've only listened to... Bob Goff's, uh, one of his, uh, I think, Love Does for Kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was read by him. So I feel like I got to know him. Here's my guess about Bob Goff. He walks into a room and it's not the Bob Goff show. Yeah. It's uh, it's the, hey, there you are, right? He is so others focused. Is right. his That's his reputation that precedes him. So I think it's it's really good when you're walking into a room to recognize nobody's really looking at you. It's, it's, you're not, you're not on center stage. Yeah. Uh, nobody is thinking about you nearly as much as you think they're thinking about you. There's th- most of them are just thinking about themselves and how are they being perceived and what's going on. And so I think if you walk into a room and you're just going, who am I going to go connect with? And who do I want to be like, there you are. Yeah. Like, I'm glad to be here to see you. Usually that is, those are the people we remember when you leave the party. And so the person who was curious and asked you a lot of questions. So uh, I like ask, listen, remember, ask, listen, remember, ask questions, Mm -hmm. you listen to what people are saying, and then you remember what they told you. That's gold right there, right? And it's not mine. That's why I can say that I didn't come up with that. That is, that is just being a friend, you know, and being others focused and putting the attention on somebody else. I think that's a... That's a charisma that is really hard to shake. I want to bring up something that I just thought of, and yeah. it's very real for our generation because I, I, a lot of people fall into it, is the, the leadership of guys and girls. Say you're, you're a male leader, you got, got girls on your staff, single. What's the relationship like? Because obviously there's charisma, there's energy, but then you can't come across as, we'll say, quote unquote, flirty, yeah. or like you don't want to go too far. How do we stay business-like? while also loving those people on our staff. Yeah. What is the balance? That's, yeah. a, that's a hard thing that a lot of 20-somethings fall into. That's really good, yeah. Um, I like that word flirt. I think that is the right word to describe it. And, um, you know, it's not, which means it's not always romantic. It's really just kind of a, a seeking of attention. Like, right. it's just, attention feels good from everybody. It does. And it really, and so you got to know it and be able to understand that you have a, a tendency to do that. I think some things that have been helpful is I try to be careful with what I share with girls uh, that are not my wife, you know, mm-hmm. be careful what you share. Uh, if we ever did a something on dating, you know, that's a that's a problem. I remember as a Christian when I started to uh, navigate the dating waters, I I used to think before I was a Christian that the relationship was defined by what you did physically, 
And as a Christian, I was like, oh no, the game's different. It's right. defined by where you're going emotionally. And so if you are sharing things and sharing your heart and having all these deep conversations, I was quote leading some friend, the, some girlfriends on because they were like, well, we share and we talk about right. all this stuff. And I'm like, but we haven't kissed or held hands or anything. Like, yeah. what do you mean? This is, there's a whole, and they were exactly right. I was wrong. And so I just think with people of the opposite sex, be careful what you share. Mm. Uh, be careful how much deep stuff you're talking about. Right. Um, that can send some mixed signals sometimes. And if you are going to share some deep things, it's just be, trying to be wise of uh, not being alone. Mm-hmm. I think that's always great. If you if you share in a group and it's kind of a team exercise, that's great. Yeah. But not the peeling off and us talking one-on-one or sending a lot of text messages or whatever, just, just you and them. So group is going to be better than one-on-one to that's not good. send some mixed signals. And just trying to be uh, a man or a woman of integrity on just what you're talking about, you yeah. know, and where, where you're allowing that to go. That's so good. I want to ask you... As far as charisma, you walk into a, a connection event, a, a party where a lot of people are there. You meet so many people. What would you say is the mo- the number one most memorable part of someone? If you, you're meeting, then you leave the room, you say, I'm remembering this person because of X or because of Y. What is that thing? What What is the thing that we need to focus on? Yeah, I think my friend Clay Scroggins would call it kind of a with it factor, which is some of the sex factor stuff, which is um, they just seem to have an energy like a, uh, I'm excited to meet you, mm-hmm. right? So a smile, uh, the handshake, um, and and then from there, it's are they a social leech or are they a social life giver? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm going to remember. And yeah. so the social leech is the person who introduces themselves or maybe doesn't. And then they just stand there. Right. And they don't do anything to drive the conversation. And it's just like, oh, okay. Uh, it's what, when I was doing college <laughs> ministry, it's what my buddy and I used to call uh, batting practice. Right. You know, like I just have to sit there and just throw questions at this yeah. person. And so if I leave a conversation and my arm is sore, yeah. I'm probably, I'm going to remember it, but for the wrong reasons, yeah. you know? So so that's where it's just like conversations go both ways. You know, right. if somebody says, where are you from? You answer the question, then ask them that question back. And so it's just, it's just trying to do, do that. Right. That's so good. I, I think the thought of being a social leech or someone walking away from a conversation from me and being like, man, that guy was a leech. Yes. Like that just scares me. It's, it's horrifying. So yeah. what is like, what is something we can do to be the life giver? How are we life giving? I think obviously it comes back to listening, curiosity, yeah. asking questions. Is there anything else we can do? Oh, to people be the love giver? encouragement. Um, talking about how happy you are to see people right. and it's it just do what's genuine to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not act like used car salesman. Right. Um, my friend, I, 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 my friend, Chris Goins does it so well. And it's just, there's a genuineness to him when he sees you. He's like, man, it's so great to see you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking about you the other day. What's this? And I'm like, man, I just give me more Chris, right? That's a, uh, that's great to be around him. And so I, I just think the more you can put the focus on other people, Right. That, that's what's going to be memorable. That's so good. I, I love those characteristics. And I think if you're listening to this, you, you need to evaluate where you're at on on appearance, your demeanor. How are you, you dressing to not distract people? And it's not selfish. It's not um, distraction to those who you're talking to. Are you communicating with your tone? Are you smiling? Are you curious of what people, what people are saying? And how do you lead out a weakness through emotional intelligence? Are you prone to gossip? Uh, and then what is it like when you walk into a room? Are you a social leech? Because if you are, figure out how not to be. Because that is so scary. Yes. Reach out to Zach. That. He will help you. No, yes. I, I have not figured that out yet. I, I want to. That's why we're doing this. Um, 
But those are huge. Those are big. Is there anything else you'd give us on that? Any other advice you wish you knew in your 20s about just this part? Yeah, I, you were kind to kind of send me some of these questions before we hit record. And I was like, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? And do you honestly want to know the first two things I wrote? What are they? <laughs> I wrote, uh, get clothes that fit and floss your teeth. Those were things <laughs> that I wish, that I, wish I would have done in my, uh, in my 20s. And then um, I think professionally, what I would say, what I wish I would have known in my 20s is don't look for the perfect job. Mm. I, I think I wish I would have done that. Just look for a job that is going to uh, give you flexible opportunities and continue to develop a broad range of skills. Right. And uh, I think I was so focused in my 20s on trying to determine what's my purpose in life, what's my purpose in life. Um, and, I, and maybe this is a good way to close it. Here's what I've seen. When I, I was interviewing for a job in my 20s, actually before I moved here, and a guy shared some advice with me that I'm just going, okay, I think this is true. He just said, for most people, here's the way their decades play out. Uh, their 20s is a time to get their teeth kicked in and realize that they don't know nearly as much as they think they know. They're not as great as their parents think they are. If you go <laughs> crawling good. into your 30s w with a bunch of self-loathing and um, an insecurity, mm. you're kind of doing it right. <laughs> right. And then your 30s is a decade where you start to realize, okay, I maybe can't be anything I want to be in this world, but there are some things that I can be. There are some things I do really well. Like right. God did make me with some gifts and some skills. And so your thirties, you're really honing those in. Mm -hmm. And then forties and fifties is usually when most people, uh, are the most productive. That's when they're kicking butt and taking names. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting. And we'll think about the Mark Zuckerberg's or the Matt Chandler's of the world who in their twenties quote, change the world. Right. And what we have to remember is that they're outliers. They're not the norm. Yeah. And so to go chase an outlier, just statistically speaking, is not, is not very wise. Mm -hmm. uh, most people follow a general pattern right. uh, like that now. Is it the cutoff on the decades? I don't know. But there seems to be this, this progression of maturity. And so I think that I wish I would have really had somebody tell me that in my early 20s yeah. just to go, hey, part of, the, part of my 20s is to make a bunch of mistakes and kind of learn what I'm not. Right. And uh, so then in my thirties, I can build on how God has made me. That's good. Don't waste your twenties. There's Amen. so much value in here. Do you have anything on that as we close? How do we not waste our twenties? How do we not go into our thirties crawling? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think, um, I think your social relationships, this is where I've been doing a lot of research and thinking lately is social relationships will be one of the biggest ways to make your twenties count. So Proverbs 13, 20, you walk with the wise, you'll grow wise. Companion of fools, you'll suffer harm. I think recognizing uh, social scientists will say that your 20s, that decade is the most significant decade of your life. Mm. Uh, most of your big life decisions are made before age 35. So here's a simple way. This is not a dress rehearsal. Like this is for real yeah. in your 20s. These decisions matter. Um, and uh, who you surround yourself with will do more to impact your life than anything else. And so here's what crazy stats that I've been reading lately is the number one determination or uh, predictor of what your 80s are going to be like from a physical health perspective or who your friends are in your 50s. Hmm. Okay. So uh, if you go to Google right now and type in epidemic of and just see what fills in, it's, it's loneliness is the first word that fills in. Uh, all these public health officials are calling this epidemic of loneliness right now and the impact it's having 
on people's physical health and as our and really in our on our country is right. people are lacking social connection. So mm -hmm. I think find your friends, be real, be authentic with them, um, follow Jesus with them, um, surround yourself with wise people. That that's a way you can go into your twenties having learned a bunch of lessons and not be crawling and right. just have those social connections that'll be with you. Uh, for the rest of your life. And pe listen, people are going to move. Right. And so that's fine. It doesn't have to be best friends from second grade type stuff, but just always be be looking for who are my social connections. I need that core group of people around me. I can't go through this life alone. Mm, that is such good advice. I hope we take that and we apply it to to where we are in our 20s now. But Adam, thank you so much for your time. Dude, this is a, a blast. Thank been you. It's a pleasure. Yeah.